study tonight. My name is Betty, and we are going to have a 12-step study by Arlene S. from Nashville. She's going to come for the next four months and talk on three steps each month. And she's an old friend of mine, and I think we're all going to be blessed by this. And I'd like to introduce Arlene S. from Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you, Betty. My name is Arlene Sasser, and I'm a very grateful recovering Al-Anon. There are a few things I need to say before I start the first three steps, which we are going to discuss tonight. Uh, first of all, I have to let you all know that I am the cutest thing. I always let everybody that I talk to know this. And uh, later on, if anyone doesn't understand that remark uh, by looking at me, I'll explain it to you. Another thing that is very important for me to stress before I start these steps is that I am not an authority on the 12 steps. I am not here to teach you and I'm not here to entertain you. I am here strictly to share with you the way I used the 12 steps to recover and the way that I use them right now in my life. Uh, another thing that is important for me to tell you is that these steps uh, I will be relating to you I took and learned out of the big book of AA. Now, I did this because at the time that I came in, uh, back when they discovered dirt, they did not have uh, Al-Anon 12 and 12 as we do today. And they did not have the blueprint for progress for your fourth step inventory as we do today. And so I had to use what was available for me to use. And that was the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And so you will be hearing me refer to that big book as we go through these 12 steps. I hope that does not uh, upset anybody in, uh, in the group. It is not my intention to upset you. If I do, I'll apologize for upsetting you, but I won't apologize for using the 12 steps out of the big book of AA. Uh, today I'm very grateful that I had them. And with that, I will go on. The first step is we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Now, I had a little problem with that when I first came into Al-Anon because uh, I didn't have a problem over alcohol. Um, I could drink and I could leave it alone. And I did drink with my husband, and, and I need to tell you that, that the man I am with now is not the husband what brought me here. He is the husband what keeps me here. But uh, when I first came into Al-Anon, uh, the man that I was with, my husband at that time, uh, when we first started courting, uh, if you'll pardon that old-fashioned phrase, and uh, dating, we went where you drink, and I drank with him. And even uh, in the early years of our marriage, I drank with him. And uh, it was fun uh, at the start, and I enjoyed it. But I never had a problem with putting it down. Uh, a lot of times I drank too much and I got uh, very, very sick and I had sense enough not to drink the next day and he didn't. 
And that was the difference between he and I. He was an alcoholic and I wasn't. Uh, of course, then I didn't understand that. So I had a problem with admitting that I was powerless over alcohol. Now, it was only after I'd been coming to Al-Anon for some uh, few uh, months uh, that I realized what that meant or how that could apply to me. Uh, by the way, this, this Al-Anon is uh, one of those uh, organizations you come in too well and get sick. The longer you're here, the sicker you get. Uh, it's the only one that I know of that you come in well and get sick. And uh, you're proud when you get sick. You uh, stand up before a group of people like you and uh, brag about how sick you was. And this is the only place I know of that you can come to and bear your soul and not feel bad about doing it. So after I'd been in Al-Anon a little while, I learned how that step could apply to me. You see, when he took a drink, I went berserk. He was drinking and I was acting crazy. And I could not control that. I could not change that. I did some very crazy things that I didn't really want to do, but I was powerless not to do them. So it was the way that I reacted to his drinking the alcohol that made me powerless over it. Now, the part where our lives had become unmanageable, now, when I came into Al-Anon, I thought I was doing a great job managing our lives. And I was managing all of our lives, or trying to. Uh, I was working and supporting the family. I was paying the bills. I was putting the food on the table. I was seeing to it that my son, he didn't have anything to do with it, was my son, was uh, going to school and uh, being raised in uh, church. I did raise him in church in the beginning, uh, that changed, as you will come to find out in the discussion of the next two steps. But I thought that I was managing very well. But I found out after being in Al-Anon that I wasn't managing at all. I was always mad, angry, resentful, uptight, and had a fist in my stomach. I was miserable. I had become... Because I was powerless to do anything different, I had become cold and unfeeling and uncaring and very, very, very self-centered. I could have seen one of you laying on the sidewalk on fire and I wouldn't have thrown a, a glass of water on you to put the fire out. That's how embittered and resentful I was when I came here. Nothing like the cute little thing I am now. So I learned after being in Al-Anon and in a group just like this, sharing and listening, that I had not managed anything except to kill the person that I once had been. And I did this myself. My husband had nothing whatsoever to do with it. I did it to myself. So yes, I found out I was powerless over alcohol and that my life had become manageable. Now we come to step two where it says, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Now I had a lot of problem with that step. You see, when I came to Al-Anon, I no longer had a higher power. Uh, trying to remember, and I really am not certain even to this day, 
I think it had been probably ten years since I had had a God. Uh, you see, I had a God that I thought you had to bargain with. Now, this is not the kind of God that anyone told me that there was. It's, it was my interpretation of what God was from going to church when I was young and learning that he keeps a record of everything you do wrong. And uh, so living in this alcoholic problem, I had tried to get real good. And God helped the alcoholic whose wife gets good in order to get him to stop drinking. But I went to church every time the doors was open. I got involved in church. I took my little son to church. I quit telling shady jokes. I quit dancing. I quit having any fun at all to try to get good. And I would take this little boy by his hand and always, always go to the very front of the church. And on the way walking up to the front of the church, I would imagine that all these people were thinking what a wonderful person I was taking this little child to church when I was living in what I was living in. Now, you know, that isn't logical because I tried to hide what I was living in. So, you know, I, all the way through these 12 steps, when I relate these little things to you, you're going to realize that uh, nothing that I said made any sense and nothing I thought and nothing I believed made it. I was always in contradiction with myself because I tried to hide from you what was going on. And yet I played these little games where you knew what was going on, and you praised me, of course, for what I was doing. And this is what I did. Uh, I took this little boy to church every time the doors was open, and then I was always the last one uh, to leave the church for the same reason. Uh, so the preacher could, of course, zero in on me. I had to give him plenty of time to zero in on me and say what a good person I was. He never did do that, but I imagined that he thought it. He just didn't say it. So um, that didn't work. The alcoholic didn't change. So then I decided I would make a bargain with God. Uh and I asked God, I'd say, God, if you'll give me a sober husband, I will take on the Boy Scouts or take on something. I would do more work. I would serve him more. And he wouldn't give me a sober husband. So I turned it around. And I asked him to give my child a sober father. Now, no God that is worth his grain of salt is going to refuse that. And so I asked him to do that to give my son a sober father, and he didn't do it. The alcoholic continued to drink, and things got worse in our home. And so what I did then, one day, was to scream at this God of my understanding, I hate you. I will never ask your help again. I'll do it myself. I don't need you. And as far as I can remember, I never asked that God for help again. Uh, I never went back to church. I started uh, dancing again. I started having fun again. I even started running around on my husband. 
I got even worse than I was before I started. And I don't know today that I did that to get even with God. I don't, I don't know if I did it for that reason, if I did it out of frustration, if I did it uh, trying to repay my husband. It may have been a, a combination of all them things. I just did it because I wanted to do it. I was self-centered. I wanted to do it. Things weren't going my way. And so, by golly, I was going to have fun. I could never get good enough anyway, so I'd just have fun while I was here. So when I got to Al-Anon, I did not have a God. I did not have a power greater than myself. And so the group tried to help me. Two or three little old ladies in that group that I hated the first night I went uh, tried to help me out. And they said, Arlene, do you think there's anything in this on this earth that might be stronger than you are. And I couldn't think of anything. So one of them said, what about the chair you're sitting in? And I thought, I ain't praying to no chair. Now, that's ridiculous. So another lady says, what about the group, Arlene? She said, do you suppose that if you used all ten of us, that maybe all of us together could be stronger than you are? And I thought a minute. And I had to agree that maybe there was a chance that all of you together might be stronger than I was. So I used the group as my higher power. Now, from this point, I jumped all the way down to step 11. Now, I believe that these steps are written in order and that they should be worked in order. I believe that. But I was too sick to do that. So I jumped all the way down to step 11 because it told me what to pray for. It says in step 11, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. And that is all I prayed. That was it from beginning to end. Let me know what you want to do, what you want me to do and give me power to carry it out. And I did it real fast. I wanted to get it over with. I didn't like that part. And I did this long enough that my God, in his humor, and he is a funny God, brought me to a point where I was worse off mentally than I had been when I came to Al-Anon. That fist that I carried around got bigger and bigger and bigger. And And you know, I wasn't getting what you had. The reason I came back to Al-Anon the second time to give it a try was because of something I saw in your eyes. I didn't know then what it was. I thought you was crazy. And I didn't care what I had to do to get just as crazy as you was. I wanted what you had. And I wasn't getting that. I wasn't getting that look you had in your eyes. I wasn't getting release from what I was doing. And one night after I left the meeting, on Thursday night, I went home, and I worked at this time. I went home, and I was in very much pain. And so I did what I did back then. I slammed drawers, and I slammed doors, and I threw things, and I just just stomped around, and and I was angry. I was full of anger because this thing wasn't working. And finally, I did the thing that I think everybody has to do. 
I remember sitting down on the side of my bed and just looking up at the ceiling, and I was not thinking of a God, and I was not thinking of the group. And I remember I was crying, and I just said the words, Show me how. Show me how. This was 2 o'clock in the morning. And immediately, immediately the idea came to me to go get the uh, dictionary and look up the word accept that we say in the serenity prayer. Now, I had this big old encyclopedia that you used to get at Kroger's. Remember it every time you went and you bought, uh, I believe it was 25, you did that. You bought $25 worth of groceries or something like that, you'd get a part of this book. And then after you got all the parts, you put it together, and the thing weighs more than I do. And I went and got that thing out at 2 o'clock in the morning, and I looked up the word accept. Now, I thought the word accept meant take it, and I took all I'd wanted to. I wasn't going to took no more. But that's not what the word means. The word means believe is a fact. That's all it means. Believe is a fact. Believe that you cannot change that alcoholic. Believe that you can change yourself. Now, you're probably wondering, what's that got to do with step two? What happened that night was I realized that I had gotten an answer to my prayer. Because I didn't even know that I was hanging up on the word except in the serenity prayer. That didn't come from me. I was not well enough or smart enough to know that I was having a problem with the word except in the serenity prayer. I thought it was the word God that I was having the hang up with. So I realized that morning that I got an answer. And it wasn't from me. And it wasn't from that group because that that burned group was asleep at 2 o'clock in the morning. I knew that. They weren't all up sitting and listening to my prayers. So something very important happened that morning. I realized I had God for me. You see, when I came into this program, I was worse than those people that didn't believe in God. I knew God was there. I just didn't think he was there for me. For some reason, he was not there for me. But this morning, I found out he was. He answered my prayer. So what happened then? I was able to go on with my steps in the order in which they are written. Because I now had a higher power. And step two says, came to believe. And that's what I did. I came, and then I came to And then I came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Now, I still had a little bitty problem with that word sanity. Those people, what wrote these steps, had the audacity to imply that I was insane. Now, I went and I dragged that big old fat book out again. And I looked up the word sanity. Because I thought, I evidently don't know what it means. And it means wholeness of mind and judgment. Well, now, by this time, I'd been coming down long enough that I knew 
that I might have been just a little bit insane. Bordering on ludicrousy. <laughs> and I'm going to share with you here just a few examples of how I was just a little bit touched when I got here. Uh, I used to play this scenario. I'm going to show you now how I was whole in mind. And you know, it's funny. It just came to me today. I realized something in this scenario, uh, thinking about it and remembering it, and I'll share that with you after I explain it. But I used to play this scenario, and I didn't just do this one time. I did it a million times. And it was funerals. The first one was always my funeral. And I was laid out in this casket in this beautiful blue dress. Blue because blue brings out the color of my eyes. Of course, my eyes weren't open, but, you know, there's that contradiction again. My eyes were not open, but I needed to wear the blue because the blue brings out the color of my eyes. And I'm laying there in this casket in this beautiful blue dress, and I'm just beautiful. I wasn't just cute back then. I was beautiful. I looked like a china porcelain doll. And all these friends that I didn't have, and my family that didn't know anything about all of this, I thought, was filing by this casket. And they were looking down at me. And they were saying, bless her heart. <laughs> Somebody else has played this game. <laughs> She's lived such a hard life. At least now she'll know peace. And I get tired of playing that scenario. It'd get boring. So I'd change it. And I put it in the casket. That's what I called him when I first come to Al-Anon, it and thing. And I would put it in the casket. And he was ugly. Ashen and gray. And these same people would file back by these friends of mine that I didn't have. And this family that didn't know anything that was going on, I thought. And they would look down at him in that casket. And then they'd come over to me. And, of course, I had that beautiful blue dress on. This time my eyes were open. And I was looking fragile but strong, you know. And they'd put their arm around me and they'd say, You poor thing. You've lived such a hard life. At least now you can have some peace. I did this wide awake. It wasn't a dream. I did this in broad daylight, wide awake, just whenever the urge hit me to have funerals. I would do this. Soundness of mind. There wasn't nothing wrong with that. People do that every day, don't they? You know? And the thing that I realized today that I get such a joy, the thing that I realized that I hadn't realized all of these years is when he was in the casket, he never had friends or family there. 
that must have some significance, you know, that maybe will show you how self-centered I was and how high up on the totem pole I was and how low down he was when I came into Al-Anon. Just realized that today. So that will show you the soundness of my mind. Now, what about my judgments? Well, let's see. I went to work to support this man. Why did I do that? I had to, didn't I? If I didn't go to work and support him and me and my son, we would lose all our material things, all our material possessions. We wouldn't have anything to eat. We wouldn't have clothes to wear. I had to go to work so he could continue to use his money to drink when he went to work. I lied to his employers when they called to find out why he wasn't at work every Monday morning. Why did I do that? Because I didn't want his employer to know I lived with a man what didn't work and support me. I didn't want him to know that I supported this man, and he would know that automatically if my husband didn't show up for work on Monday morning. So I had to lie. Had to. I made that decision myself. When he wrote bad checks, I went immediately and picked them up and made them good. I made that decision to do that. Why? Because my name was on those checks, too. And I didn't want those people at the bank to know I lived with a man what wrote bad checks. So I made the decision to go make them good. And when he got in jail, as they do occasionally, what did I do then? Well, of course, I immediately run down and got him out of jail. Why? Because I made the decision that you might see him there. And everybody in Nashville knew that it belonged to Arlene on South 12th Street. And if you saw him there, you would know it was mine and it was in jail and I was there to pick it up. Now, I was so sick and so sane back then, that it never once dawned on me to wonder why you'd be there to see him in the first place. <laughs> that never dawned on me till I got in Alnon. I just didn't want you to, to know that something what belonged to Arlene was in jail. So I would run down and I'd pick him up. This was after I had gone to the impound to get the car out. Now, by this time, it has been well over four hours since it had a drink. So what did we do? Every time, we would, you're shaking your head, you already know the answer. We would always stop at a liquor store and get a bottle because it was flying apart. We had to. I made the decision. I had to get this man a bottle or he was going to lose his teeth. Soundness of mind and soundness of judgment. 
Now, the insane thing about all of this is that I did it all over and over and over and over for years. Did the same thing and expected a different result. Soundness of mind. I expected it to be different every time. And when it wasn't what happened, I got angry. I got resentful. I hated him. I hated myself for doing it again. And yet, I continued to do it. So, yes, after being in Al-Anon a while, I could say, maybe I was just a little insane when I got here. I even pushed him down a flight of concrete steps once. Our back door had, I think it was four, maybe five concrete steps. It didn't hurt him. You can't hurt them boogers when they're drunk. (laughs) They bounce around like a ball when they're drunk. It didn't hurt him, but that's not the point. The point is it could have hurt him. It could have paralyzed him. It could have killed him. And I believe today that the jails are full of people who didn't make it to Al-Anon. Thank God. Thank God I wasn't one of them. And it wasn't because of anything that I did. So, yes, I was a little insane. Now we come to step three which is today. It and step 11 are my favorites today. And to me, that's a miracle from where I came from. And step three is made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. Now, let me say right off of the bat that you cannot work that step. Nobody can just say, Here, God. Here's my will of my life. Take it and have it done. It's not that simple. It's not that easy. The AA 12 and 12 describes the practicing of step 3, which is all we can do is practice it. It describes the practicing of step 3 in this manner. It says it is much like opening a door that to all appearances remains closed and locked. There is only one key that will unlock that door, and that key is called the key of willingness. And you will discover in the next steps how very, very important willingness is to your recovery. Once unlocked by this key of willingness, this door almost opens of itself. And as you look through that door, you see a pathway with an inscription written beside it. And that inscription reads, The Path to a Faith that Works. That is what the practice of Step 3 daily lead you to a faith that really works and it really does if I can do it a dog can do it 
from where I was when I came here. Now, I had a problem with that step. I don't think there was one I didn't have a problem with. But I had a little extra problem with that step. How do you turn your will and your life over to the care of somebody you don't trust? We realize now that I do have a higher power. We realize now that I am beginning to grow. But I have a problem trusting this higher power because I cannot imagine that he have enough love for me to forgive me for what I've done. Now, I'm not talking about the petty, selfish things that I did to my alcoholic. I'm not talking about the harm I did to my child. I'm not talking about the awful things I thought about doing and the things I did do. I'm talking about denying my God. I'm talking about those ten years that I hated him. In my religion that I was brought up in, that was the unpardonable sin. So I had a problem here. And one of my sponsors, I had four of them. I was very sick. One of my sponsors gave me a little project, a little assignment, if you will. They do that. Sponsors do. And you do what they tell you to. I don't know what they do to you if you don't. But she gave me this little project, and she said, Arlene, every morning I want you to go to your bathroom mirror. I want you to look in that mirror, and I want you to look straight in those blue eyes. I don't want you to look at the shower curtain. I don't want you to look at the ceiling. I don't want you to look out the window. I want you to look in those eyes, and I want you to say these words. God knows you, loves you, cares for you right where you are. And I love you too. Well, I thought this woman had to be out of her mind. But as I've told you, I never, never failed to do what my sponsor told me to do. So I started doing this. And the first morning I did it, it, you know, I stayed on the potty chair a little longer. I tried to put it off, you know. I went and I made sure the door was locked because I was afraid it might come in and see me talking to myself in the mirror. And I finally did what she told me to do. And I felt real stupid and embarrassed and uncomfortable. And I didn't like it. I didn't like it at all. But she had told me to do this every morning, and so I continued to do this every morning. And then one morning when I was doing this, I realized something. I realized that my feeling was a a little different this morning. I felt giddy. Now, to me, when I say giddy, I'm talking about like that very first date you had with that guy when, when that was just absolutely God's answer to young teenage girls. Remember that first date? And you were really silly. Well, I was. Maybe all of y'all wasn't. But I felt giddy this particular morning. And you know what? It was working. I was changing. 
This was when I discovered that you don't pray to change God, you pray to change yourself. It changes you. I don't know why it works. I don't know how it works. I just know it works. And then the morning came when I looked in those eyes and I said those words, and I knew without a shadow of a doubt that they were true. My God loved me. It made no difference where I came from. It makes no difference where I might go tomorrow. He loves me because I am his child. I think I forgot to tell you that. The very first thing that she told me to say was, You are God's precious child. He knows you. He loves you. He cares for you. And I do too. And it worked. So now I'm ready to practice step three. On page 63 of the big book of AA, there is a third step prayer. This is why I love the 12 steps in the big book of AA. It tells you just exactly what to do. Just exactly. You don't have to wonder. And that prayer goes something like this. And I still use this prayer today. I have never stopped using it, along with some more that I have added to it. God, I offer myself to thee to build with and to do with as thy will. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I might better do thy will. Remove my difficulties that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power Thy love and thy way of life, may I do thy will always. That is the third step prayer. And as I said, it's found on page 63 of the big book of AA. And I said that prayer every morning. Now, when you get through saying that prayer and your other prayers and doing your reading and all and your meditating and all that you do, then you get up. And you go about doing what is in front of you to do that day. Now, you don't leave God in that bedroom. You take him and you say, come on, God, let's go put the coffee on. Come on, God, it's time to get that youngin' up. Time to fix that breakfast. Time to get her off to school. You take God everywhere you go throughout the day. You don't leave him nowhere. You take them. That's real simple. I don't know how to make it any simpler than that. You take him grocery shopping. By all means, take him in that car anytime you get in that car. Don't get in it without him. You bring him to Murfreesboro from Nashville with you. You take him to that office. You really need him there if that office is like mine was. You take him everywhere all day long. That is the practice of step three. You are no longer in the driver's seat. You are no longer boss. You have a new employer. You are his employee. He is the father. You are the child. He is the principal. You are his agent. It makes it real simple. Now, after you have done this, Day after day after day, what happens? 
you wind up ultimately giving complete abandonment and surrender to that higher power. That's how the practice of this step takes you to that faith that works. Now along about this time, some pretty remarkable things are going to begin to happen to you. You're going to discover that all of a sudden, you're getting everything that you need. You're going to discover that all of a sudden, you're no longer consumed with yourself and your little plans and your little designs in life. You're going to discover that you're beginning to ask yourself, what can I do to contribute to life? There is a paragraph preceding the third step prayer on page 63 that says it beautifully. And I'm going to try to quote that paragraph for you now. Uh, I may not know it word for word. But it says beautifully these little things that begin to happen to you, and they are remarkable. When you consider that when I got here, I hated God. To know that now He is a daily part of my life. He is a part of me. And He is real to me. And I wouldn't dream of going anywhere without Him. This has become a habit. You know, if you do anything for 30, 31 days, I believe the day, whoever they are, says, it becomes a habit. You do it automatically without even thinking about it. And that little paragraph says, as we felt a new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind, as we discovered we could face life successfully as we became conscious of his presence. We began to lose our fear of today or tomorrow or the hereafter. We were reborn. And that's exactly what happens. We were reborn. And this leads us into step four, which we will discuss next time. Thank you very much, and God bless you.